You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast, episode 102. I'm your host, Victor Marks, and joining me is the esteemed editor-in-chief, managing editor of Apple Insider and all he surveys, Neil Hughes. Hey, Victor. How's it going? <laughs> it's great. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I know you're out in uh, Las Vegas right now for CES. I am out in wonderful, fantastic Las Vegas. And and CES is... Is it wonderful? Uh, it's a little chilly, to be honest. But CES is is an interesting show. Uh, it was characterized by a fellow on Twitter as being sort of a cross between a bargain basement of, of weird stuff and the sales flyer at Best Buy. I mean, isn't that pretty much every trade show, though? I think so. I mean, I think that's kind of the nature of any trade show, whether you go to CES, you go to E3, you go to whatever, um, that you have your like, especially if it's a big one, you have like your premium brands. For those of you that have never been to one of these shows, you have like your kind of premium big name brands that'll have flashy booths, big presence, like a big uh, keynote presentation. And then you have this weird underbelly of just strange foreign made products with misspelled uh, signage and uh, promises that they could never keep and things that will never come to market. It's a it's a weird mismatch of, of things. Yes, and CES especially because CES focuses on being the one of the two leading events for innovation. One of the other one being IFA in Berlin, mm-hmm. and so you, you get everyone bringing just about everything from common cases and cables, which we try not to cover too much, all the way to bizarre automotive accessory inventions or you know crazy stuff ever there's the tv section where people bring in the, the greatest and latest tvs that they want to sell us on uh, i expect to see 8k tvs there this year uh there's there's the whole segment devoted to self-driving cars uh, anything imaginable you can think of and it's it's not a show that we go to because it's all apple related it's certainly not but there's always a segment of, of people trying to make things that either work with Apple, whether it's the iPhone and an app, or work with, with HomeKit or HealthKit and things like this. And that's that's where, of course, our interest at Apple Insider lies. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, CES used to be a show that you could kind of ignore if you were an Apple fan. Um, but the rise of the iPhone, and, and even more specifically than that um, – you know, 30-pin and lightning-licensed uh, devices that Apple has allowed through the made-for-iPhone program and then opening up Bluetooth, you know, for people that forget, the very first iPhone and even iPad, you couldn't really do anything with them with Bluetooth. It was severely restricted. Now the types of devices you can connect via Bluetooth to your iPhone and iPad have been opened up greatly. Um, and so you see a much larger presence for Apple at these shows than you did five, ten years ago um, because now – Apple is kind of the king when it comes to, especially the iPhone. So everybody wants to get in on the game with some sort of iPhone connected accessory. Yes. And, you know, what we typically see these days is either things that are, are lightning, like you say, or are compatible with the Mac via something like USB-C or Thunderbolt and, and a little bit of HomeKit. Uh, well, this Bluetooth and, and CarPlay. I mean, oh, a ton of Bluetooth, and I'm going to hit the automotive section in a day or so and see all of the latest in, in third-party CarPlay, which is where my interest lies. But Apple's um, openness to these types of weird accessory makers is much better now than it ever has been. Well, okay, yes and no. I, I would say you're absolutely right for Lightning 
because that follows on in the MFI program for CarPlay, certainly for uh, for Bluetooth, absolutely. My 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 no to that is the the HomeKit side of things. And well, I say it's better that better than it was last year is what I would say. <laughs> it's better than it was last year, but HomeKit specifically requires the manufacturer to put a chip that they purchase from from Apple into each device, and that's an added expense for the uh, the, the manufacturer that they have to pass on to to the consumer. And its benefit is is twofold, right? One of its benefits is to Apple to know that it's an authenticated device, and the other is security. It's it's a secured device because it's specifically on your network with a unique key, and so it can't be promiscuous. It can't necessarily be easy to take over with a botnet kind of thing. It's it's a good point of view from their their side of things, but it also raises the cost of devices for manufacturers who feel pinched by that. And so, you know, I, I've talked with with makers here who are happy to talk about doing Google Home, happy to talk about addressing Amazon Alexa or Samsung Smart Things or any of the others, uh, but they won't talk HomeKit because some of their products simply don't support adding a, a, a you know three and a half dollar chip. Right. That to, to add that to the bomb raises the cost of the device in a way that is untenable if you're trying to make a so so if you're trying to make a home automation device. And, and Neil, you've got a ton of these things in your house. You've got light bulbs, you've got the the wall plate switches, you've got all these kinds of things going on. And it wasn't inexpensive, right? It was it was kind of a substantial investment on your part, wasn't it? Yes. Oh, yes, yes, it was. Okay. So one of the propositions is that this space begins to take off when the devices become more affordable. You, you can afford to outfit your whole home when the cost of each individual one drops. And the cost can't drop if you keep requiring three and a half dollar chips to add in that knock on to about you know a nine or ten dollar price increase at retail, plus development costs and all that stuff. Plus added development cost and 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 you know it's it's not inconsequential. It sounds small, but it's not it because it, it balloons on the back end of things. So what I'm seeing so far at the show is is very, very many things that talk about Amazon Alexa and Google Home and, and these other opportunities. And when you ask about HomeKit, uh, there's sort of a shuffling of feet or, uh, you know, home, HomeKit is interesting, but it's, it's – uh, the, the perspective so far seems to be that for, for many manufacturers that HomeKit is going to occupy a much smaller percentage of the market share when this stuff takes off. Yeah, I, I think, you know, um, you see some of that coming out too. Um, years ago, a couple of years ago when HomeKit was first announced and a lot of accessory makers were putting out things and they were saying, oh, we're going to add a HomeKit support later. <laughs> and then, yeah you, can't do that. yeah, you can't do that. You have to have a chip in there. But a lot of these companies either didn't know or didn't realize or whatever. Now, some of the bigger brands were successful at this, like Philips Hue couldn't have the chips in the bulbs, so they created a hub. Lutron did the same thing with a hub. Uh, that kind of acts as a bridge between their non-HomeKit devices and the HomeKit platform. Um, then you have, you know, some manufacturers like um, uh, uh, Tato, the the uh, AC company, the, the, they, they're a European company. They make uh, air conditioning control units. They sent me a thing that turned a dumb air conditioner into a smart air conditioner, and they promised HomeKit support was coming eventually. That was like two years ago. And, of course, they haven't done it because it wasn't it didn't ship in the product. So it's not as simple as a software update. So you see an example of that today where uh, one of the products that we covered, which was the um, Chamberlain uh, Smart Garage Hub, 
So they announced two products. They announced the Smart Garage Hub, which takes a regular dumb garage door opener and acts as a bridge to connect it to HomeKit. Um, you know, uh, sends the wireless signal infrared to open your garage door or whatever. But then they have another one uh, that connects their MyQ uh, garage door openers or Wi-Fi connected ones and connects that to, to HomeKit. Now, originally, people are upset because I went on the comments on um, our website and some people were talking about when the Chamberlain MyQ Wi-Fi was announced, they said they were going to add HomeKit support for free. Well, I wonder, did Chamberlain even know? that they weren't going to be able to add it because now they've put out a hardware accessory that they're charging $50 for at an introductory rate. And then if you don't buy it at that rate, it goes up to, uh, it goes up to 70 bucks. Oh, okay. So let's, let's talk about this. First of all, Chamberlain, if you don't know, are the makers of virtually every single garage door opener in North America. Um, they, they've been doing it for years and years and they own all the sub brands so if you have a link master garage door opener it's a chamberlain if you have a sears craftsman it's a chamberlain if you have the one that you buy at home depot or low it's chamberlain pretty much almost every single one ever is a chamberlain i, I don't know that they actually have any competitors of note it, 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 seriously if you look at chamberlain's website you'll see that they have 20 other different brand names that they sell under every single one of them is theirs so when they talk about garage door openers if you're going to get one I mean, compatibility for, for HomeKit, compatibility with, with Wi-Fi, you, you kind of want to get the module from the people that make it because they're the guys that know how to do the openers for it. Right. Right. And and I say that because the you, you can't just use any remote control to open your garage door because they put security keys inside because they're terribly afraid of it ever being being vulnerable to someone opening your garage door that's not you and you losing all your stuff. That would be the end of the world for them. Right. So, that's that's why you'd get one from the same manufacturer as opposed to garage io or one of the others that are out there and myq garage they put it out a few years ago and they were very very clear that this was the way to get wi-fi on it and they were works with nest at the time because works with nest didn't have a security impact on them right they could say we're works with nest and be able to have the garage door opener turn on the nest camera if it was in the garage or or to have it um tell the thermostat you were home kind of thing or away kind of thing. Right. And that no was a very hardware security, security requirement. There was no security risk, no hardware security requirement and no risk to the end user. Right. But when you start talking about allowing the mobile phone to control it and having that be inside their app, they were fine with that because they felt they could secure their app. If you start pushing that outside of their app into Apple's home application and into the home kit lingos, then they start to get very nervous because they want to make sure that there's there's no accidental way for any other thing to open the garage door. Right. Their their focus is totally on securing the premises, right? And so so first of all, years ago when HomeKit was first announced, it was about a nine month period or so where people didn't realize that you require hardware was going to be required. And then once hardware was going to be required, people took a long little bit longer to figure out what that impact meant. So last year at CES at uh, Showstoppers, Chamberlain was talking a little bit about HomeKit, and they were showing a little bit about HomeKit. They didn't have an actual unit demonstrating HomeKit, but they were talking about it and saying that it was going to come. And and now we finally have it. And I, I think it's – knowing the history of this, it's unfair to hold any one of them accountable for the idea that they should just give it away for free. I, I think that's an untenable position, knowing that it, it – really did have an impact on them, really did have a, a sort of a sea change in how they approached it. And, and knowing that they're, they're focused incredibly on, on maintaining tight security for the end user. 
that it's this additional piece required to do it. And I, I think the, the thing that we need to be thankful or, or, or at least appreciative of uh, for them is that instead of doing what other people have done, right, Echobee, the thermostat, when they had HomeKit come on, they released the exact same product in the exact same enclosure with the exact same product name, Echobee 3, except that there were two different SKUs, one without HomeKit and one with. And it was confusing, and the only way to, to fix it was to go buy the new one. And I had this problem where I, I had uh, I had the non-HomeKit version, and then I, I talked with them, and they, they sent the HomeKit version, and they sent an installer to come and install it, and they sent an installer with another product to, to put on the wall because they weren't sure that the one they'd sent me was good. And they sent the installer with the wrong SKU. <laughs> That's how much confusion this creates. So Chamberlain have actually done a very smart thing and a very good thing for their user base here by saying, okay, there's the MyQ Garage, and that was our past product. They could have just said, hey, look, if you want HomeKit compatibility, here's the new product. You must pony up your money again. And instead of doing that, they've said, you know what? For those of you in the middle, for those of you who are already our customer, current MyQ smartphone control users wanting HomeKit compatibility, great. Here's the one thing you need to buy to do it. That's well, let's, an let's amazing them, thing to do. Let's not give them that much credit. They did promise this as an update to people. This, wasn't like the, this isn't like they're doing this out of the – Yeah, but – what I'm saying is that plan could have easily been dropped and put on, you know, shuffled over to the rug. Oh, I, I agree with that, you. I mean, that, I, I realize that, that it is a rare thing to, to say here, we're going to release a product for, for those of you in the middle like that. I think it's very cool. And, and it's not to, to be really fair, right? It's, it's, they're not doing that just for those current MyQ owners. They're doing it because they built MyQ functionality into the garage door openers already. So it makes sense to make this product for all the people that bought the more expensive garage door opener to begin with. But I mean, let's talk about some of the bait and switch that goes on with HomeKit products too, because that's part of it here. You know, and this is why people are upset because they buy the Chamberlain thing. Chamberlain says it's okay, going to be a free update. But I want to make sure that I say this isn't a bait and switch on Chamberlain's part. Some people I say that it is. is. Well, I it, disagree. I don't know because I just read about this today as running this story. But the number one comment yeah. on our story is somebody quoting Corey Soros, VP of Marketing and Connected Products for Chamberlain in March 2015, who said, quote, we're going to provide a free update for their HomeKit compatibility. That's slotted for June-July 2015 timeframe. So th this is a guy claiming that somebody from the company promised her free. Maybe made it up. I don't know. Um, but – I'm, I'm not talking about Chamberlain specifically. I'm talking about just in general when you're looking at HomeKit devices, how, how confusing this stuff is. Right, so right. But if you search that – I just want to say if you search that quote from that user, you end up on the MyQ community at Chamberlain.com, which is a user forum. And as we know, the, the user forums are user contributed. They're not the official word of anyone. And it says this was a Facebook post that – Chamberlain promised to make and it was posted on Facebook and they've pasted in what the Facebook, you know, sc screenshot looked like. Um, well, it, it doesn't matter. I, I don't want to pick on Chamberlain. Well, what I'm saying is that I, I don't think it's bait and switch. I think that, that, uh, th this is people being very, very optimistic here. That, I, I agree that it was the promise that HomeKit would be compatible through a free firmware update, but we all know that that was not possible, that, it wasn't going to be the case, and and you know the manufacturers had to learn that too. Once it's no longer something that can be done as a free firmware update, holding them for f saying saying they should give away this hardware product for free is ridiculous. Okay, but let's talk about some of the other things that were announced this week. Where again, there's this kind of weirdness going on. So, right. uh, for example, 
um, let's look at the ConnectSense Bluetooth extender, where they put out a press release saying that it was going to bridge between Bluetooth-connected devices, of which if you have HomeKit and you have a Bluetooth-only device, you can't control it away from home unless you have an Apple TV or an iPad set in Home Hub mode nearby. This device in the press release made it sound like this is going to be a, a HomeKit bridge that would allow your device to remotely connect um, away from home. But it turns out that you have to use the ConnectSense app and only do stuff through their cloud. It won't allow you to use Siri away from home through HomeKit. Now, I don't know if that's an Apple restriction or not, but the way they worded it in announcing this product was dishonest, I feel. Oh, okay, so they wrote a bad press release and weren't clear at all about what their capabilities actually are. But they're not they never- alone. It's multiple products here where now I'm reading these things and I'm questioning, how is this actually going to work? So I own the uh, iHome uh, Smart uh, sensor, um, which is a little box that plugs into the wall. It checks the temperature and it does things like uh, motion detection, sound detection. Well, some of the capabilities of it aren't supported by HomeKit. So you get, you go, oh, great. Well, I want to use the sound detection combined with the motion detection to turn on lights at night or something like that. Well, it turns out that you can only use the sound detection with iHome's own accessories, not with other HomeKit accessories. So, right. And some of that is because Apple's HomeKit only understands certain types of devices and certain right. types of, of input from those devices. They, they understand lights are on, off, and dim, and color temperature. They understand that ceiling fans have speeds and directions of spin, but they haven't written out what sound detection sounds like or works like. You covered another product this week that you saw at the, the kickoff for CES on Tuesday – uh, the iDevice, iDevices Instant Switch. It's a Bluetooth remote that connects to your wall. It can control HomeKit-compatible appliances, but it does not have HomeKit support in the Switch itself. That is correct. Which, again, it's like, even if it's not dishonest, if you're a consumer, I mean, you're pulling your hair out looking at this stuff. We got a press Pulling release. all this stuff is from, not as easy as it should be. Yeah. We, we got a press release from First Alert this week announcing new HomeKit products, but as you dug into it, you found out that the actual new products in there, including their EnviroCam, don't support HomeKit. Well, so the EnviroCam is a funny thing because we, I, I, personally, I like the EnviroCam. Very cool product, very cool piece of hardware. But the the weird thing for me is okay last year it wasn't homekit compatible because the idea of cameras wasn't in at all that the homework frame homekit framework it wasn't even in there yet right. this year they it's in there uh, yeah th- this year it's in the homekit framework and we know that the august doorbell camera is homekit compatible and the new canary that's just becoming is just have support and the new canary and Canary is also very cool. The uh, I have a friend that's got like six of them around his house. They're amazing. But the you know first alert's been working with Apple. They're a partner. They've they've made other HomeKit things, and they're gonna get the camera to be HomeKit. Uh, it's just not there yet, right? Yeah, and, and, and but the way you see some of these press why. releases come out, they make it sound like everything's HomeKit, and then you read closer, and some of it isn't HomeKit. I mean, I was at the Apple store yesterday, just kind of uh, hanging out in Soho. Um, and I went up and looked at their smart home accessory section there, and they sell a canary there. But it's not the HomeKit canary because the HomeKit canary well, is not. you can't that. get that yet. I know, but it's like yeah. the, the, the whole experience. It, I mean, I write about this for a living, okay? We do this for a living, and we're still confused by it. And I'm sitting here trying to parse out press releases, and you're there at CES trying to figure out what these things do, and we're getting frustrated by it. So imagine how you know Joe Public feels about this stuff, and rightfully so. They, they should be angry about it. Okay, so 
the, just to point out the you know the neighbors on the other side of the fence, right? Alexa has a ton of skills, and when you dig into that, you you discover what the devices can or can't do, and that you have to speak to them with the correct syntax. Right. right. You have to you have to tell Alexa to tell the other thing to do the other action. Right. And it's it's not always sensible or not always a comfortable syntax to use. Uh, however, there are weird things where, where if you combine I was talking with uh, a friend of mine last night about this, where if you took Alexa and you have uh, Securifies Almond Plus and the new one, I forget what they call it, that does mesh router on your network and Zigbee and Z-Wave devices associated with the Almond, then you can tell Alexa to do things on the Almond that are not officially supported by Alexa, by, by Amazon Echo. So you can, you can control your old Zigbee and Z-Wave stuff and get actions that you couldn't otherwise get. So all of this stuff is, I think, still in its sort of geek birth where there's a bunch of very cool stuff, but it's still a little difficult. Um, to that end, one of the things that I want to talk about is uh, – so I've had a product in my house for a little while, and they're here at the show, and I was just talking to them this morning. Uh, they're introducing a ton more stuff. Uh, it's called SwitchMate. Uh-huh. And SwitchMate is a, uh, a Bluetooth wall plate thing that just magnetically attaches to the two screws on your regular wall switch uh-huh. and is Bluetooth and controlled with an app. And it's a, it's magnetic. You slap it on the wall with the magnets, and it motorized controls the uh, the light switch. And it works brilliantly. And they're doing Alexa and they're doing Google Home. And their setup is so small. They, they don't even require user account creation. They don't have a ton of stuff going on. It just freaking works. And I think that's where all this stuff has to get to is the point where you simply put it on the wall. You install batteries, you put it on the wall, and it works that fast. You know. And the next step is – so everyone understands lighting, right? Mm-hmm. So after lighting – we were talking about Canary. I, I think cameras is a big space. I, I think cameras and security is where this stuff goes next, right? You, you want to know the HomeKit device that excited me the most that I've seen this week? Tell me. The Incipio Wireless Smart Power Strip. This is so dead simple, so oh, easy. You, the the like, four-port power strip that's controlled by HomeKit, huh? Yeah, it, it, so it's just as simple as you're going to get. Uh, they have a bunch of, you know, we were talking earlier about cost and barriers to entry and all that stuff. This is a product that addresses a lot of that, and that's why I like it. So for 100 bucks, which is, to be fair, not cheap, but if you were to buy four separate uh, smart plug accessories, they're running 30 to 50 bucks a pop. 39 so this to 49 is, a piece. yeah. This is uh, uh, four smart plugs in one standard-looking power strip, like you would plug your computer into and all your stuff to charge, you know. And... Each one of the ports gets its own identifier on HomeKit, and so you can label all the devices that you plug in, and it turns dumb devices into smart devices. Now, the caveat when you use a smart plug like this is the device you plug into, it has to be exceptionally dumb. It has to be something that uh, has a, a on switch that will stay on even when it's unplugged, so that when the power comes back to it, it turns on on its own. Otherwise, if you have to get up and press the power button after it gets powered to it, kind of defeats the purpose of it. You, you haven't accomplished a whole lot there. Right. So, but if you have devices that work with that, like a, a desk fan or uh, a light or, you know, uh, you name it, uh, an air conditioning unit, whatever, um, you can plug these things into uh, a smart switch like this and have them become smart devices and, and control them with your voice and tell Siri to uh, turn them on, turn them off, you know, adjust however. 
Uh, so this thing has four ports on it. It's 100 bucks. It gives you four different control methods for four different devices, and it measures power uh, absorption of each of those devices. I mean, and, and this is like dead simple, but this is all HomeKit really needs to be. We don't need to turn into anything too fancy with cameras and all this other stuff. The more complexity you add to it, the more troublesome this gets. And this goes back to what I was talking about earlier with Apple opening up and working more with manufacturers. This is the double-edged sword that you get from this, right? Because Yes, Apple is opening up. They're expanding their their uh, their licensing programs to new things like game controllers and HomeKit devices and cars stuff and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, but the more that they do that, the more they lose control of the narrative. And there is no better example of that in HomeKit where the narrative is all over the place and it doesn't make any sense. I, I think you're right. And I, uh, I, I, I kind of worry about Apple and HomeKit if, if they've lost control of the narrative and – it's, it's this difficult. What are they going to do to regain that control? What are they going to do to try and make it a success? Because it, it seems to me that what we're ending up with, and I, I want to point it out for this, this Incipio product that you highlighted, that it is also compatible with Amazon Alexa. Right. Right? Pe- people, they're, they're not making one that's dedicated to HomeKit. They're, they're balancing their risk by making it compatible with both. Um, you know, I have. I, I know you're afraid of putting the microphone in your house, but I've got the Alexa and Google Home in my house. I've got the Echo Dot, and um, that blended environment and blended control works for me right now. Especially since Apple doesn't have a, a voice-first device. Right. Yeah, I just you don't know, trust my, Amazon. I, I hear that. My and and there are tons of people that that don't trust Google for. Yeah, you know, trust they're not Google. necessarily wrong. My my thing is that. Um, you know, it, it just—I I wonder if this is a space where Apple ends up giving up on it at some point because it's—it's—they're they, imposing these kinds of requirements upon participants, and the narrative is so hard. I don't think they can give up on it because that kind of integration with Siri, and especially as Siri continues to expand, I mean, there's so many obvious areas where that can improve. Obviously, Siri on the Mac does not support HomeKit right now. That needs to be fixed. There is no standalone Siri device. The rumor to be working on one. You address those needs. Now you're adding value to HomeKit every time you do that. So I feel like, you know, Apple can't really give up on it. But when you look at the bigger picture, and I want you to weigh in here because obviously I'm kind of viewing this stuff from, you know, 30,000 feet as I'm looking at CES and you're there on the floor. Every year at CES, it seems like there's always some sort of overwhelming trend or direction. Sometimes it's defined by Apple, like, uh, uh, I think it was like four or five years ago when Apple's room we worked working on a TV. So everyone was making smart TVs to try to beat Apple the punch. And it was kind of like the joke of the show that, you know, Apple's making a TV. We got to get out first, whatever. And sometimes well, and, and people are still doing that right there. Last year it was Roku that built it into TVs and this well, year, but that's a, the central element has got Amazon fire built into it with the voice remote. They're, they're yeah. all doing it. Yeah. But th- these, these trends, you know, there's always like one year where like, this is the thing. Um, and it feels to me like HomeKit is a part of this this year's trend where it's like this quote-unquote internet of things, everything's connected. I mean, I saw something earlier for a Bluetooth-connected hairbrush, a $200 hairbrush that measures how hard... That is the Withings hard... by Nokia hairbrush, yes. Right. And, and I cannot imagine who would pay $200 for this thing. It's ridiculous. It connects to your iPhone. But this hey, is kind of the... Hey, back up a step. Have you seen my hair? I It, it looks good. Uh, I'm but... saying... <laughs> I mean, it, it seems to me that that's the trend this year. And I think it was to an extent last year as well, but it's continuing. This this putting a Bluetooth chip or a Wi-Fi chip in everything, whether it's HomeKit, whether it's just a, something as stupid as a hairbrush uh, or a toothbrush or whatever, 
everything is getting connected. Your refrigerator, your toaster, whether you want it or not, whether you need it or not, that's where the industry thinks things are going. Now, of course, that isn't always successful. The smart TV thing never really caught on the way the industry thought it was going to, and Apple never even made one. Certainly, smart TVs are doing all right, but it's not like they were the next big thing in tech. Uh, do you think that is the trend this year, and do you think that they are right into in investing in that? So I, I think that the, the connected home thing is a continuing trend, and where that has to go is that the devices have to become more affordable and easier to set up. Um, you know, uh, this, this morning a fellow pointed out to me, he said he, he thinks that a lot of these devices are geared at male geek buyers, that you can sell, you know, 50,000 of anything to, to geeks. But you, you have to be able to put these things in regular department stores, in, in stores where 88% of their customers are women. That was the number he used. Um, that regular people need to be able to pick these things up, install them in four seconds, and not think about it again. And just have it work and help. And that's where the revolution for this stuff comes from. The The other thing at CES that is supposed to be this year's trend is the uh, the, the personal mobility and self-driving stuff. Um, and, and AI is a part of that. But, but the, is that actually coming to market or is this just, you know, proof of I think that's stuff? just – I think that's the, the – this is the splash of CES kind of stuff. I don't think that the that, that, that really comes to market in a big way this year. Which um, – which goes back to something that people listening that may not know the intricacies of CES that we know should know, is that most of the crap that you're seeing announced today isn't going to launch until either this fall, so like nine, ten months from now, and a lot of it isn't even ever going to launch at all. There are so many products that get announced by big companies at CES with big uh, plans and big stakes, like we were talking before about the, the connected uh, uh, garage door opener. They come out at CES, they say, we're going to have HomeKit support this July, whatever. It doesn't pan out. It doesn't make it to market. It gets delayed. It gets whatever. CES is kind of a throw everything at the wall, see what sticks kind of a conference. And there's a lot of just bogus stuff that gets announced. Well, and a good example of this, even stuff that's not bogus, like you said, from big companies. Uh, so a year ago, Quickset, we, we talked about Quickset, Kivo, and then the Kivo 2. And the door last lock. year at CES, the door locks, they, they were talking about, hey, we're going to have HomeKit. We're going to have HomeKit. We're going to have four different flavors of this lock. We're going to have one where, you know, currently their, their locks have always been, you replace the whole thing and you've got the outside unit and the inside uh, lever. And they were going to do one like August where you only had to change the inside lever so that people who rent apartments can use it. Mm -hmm. And none of that ever came to fruition. Only this year does the HomeKit unit exist. And it's not Kivo. It's now called something like Premise. Mm -hmm. yep. And and uh, we'll, we'll actually be getting one of those for review for Apple Insider. So we'll be able to talk more about that as a door lock. But the, the these things, even if they do come, they can come two years late. Yeah, I mean, most of the stuff, you know, if you're reading our coverage, obviously we have a lot of stuff. Victor's there. Um, you know, all these products are being announced. The earliest I've seen of any product that has been announced is launching is March. None of them are available today. None of them are coming anytime soon. Um, and, and this is not just a CES problem. This is a technology problem. You know, I was looking at uh, getting uh, the new GoPro the other day with their handle. And there's like an extension that you need for it if you want to mount it anywhere. They're still not shipping it. They announced this thing last September. They completely missed the holidays. Look at Apple. AirPods hit stores, what, uh, five days before Christmas? <laughs> so, I mean, I don't want to beat up on CES and, and all the companies that are there that are showing products because this is becoming an increasingly worrisome trend in technology. Well, it is and it isn't. Let's, let's, 
so CES is 50 years old this year. And CES is not a show for the consumer. CES it's called the is, Consumer Electronics Show. Right. Let me explain. <laughs> it is the show for buyers who right. work at retail stores to come and see the products that they want to buy for their right. stores for the next season, right? So that's that's the nine-month trick is you come in January, you see the stuff that you want to purchase and put on your shelves in October or September. Right. This is and Parrot Drones so from, trying to sell Best Buy on their model coming in September that they think is going to be hot for kids, like a new toy. That is the purpose of this show. That is right. why this show has existed for 50 years. And the fact that the media comes in and talks to the consumer directly about how all this stuff is hot and cool and, and how great it is and, and how you should want it is is sort of, you know, it's it's us talking about the future and what will be or what can be, but that's not the primary point of this show. The, but that doesn't excuse, let's say you're a buyer and you see, you commit to buying, you know, X number of quick set premises and they don't arrive in time for the holiday season. That doesn't change anything. You're still unhappy as, as Walmart's buyer of, of electronics. Oh, that's your apocalyptic at that point. Right. Uh, it, so so when, a, when a company misses a date to be on a peg, the retailer finds them. And, and that can be in upwards of tens of thousands of dollars a day for every day that they don't have the product in the store. Does that happen frequently? Uh, you only make that mistake once. <laughs> and then you go out of business. <laughs> well, you go out of business or you lose tons of money being fined and it's a black mark against you. So the retailer will not buy from you again for at least a couple of buying cycles because you screwed up so bad. So that's why you go out of business because you lose your, your customers. All right. Well, Victor, I know you got to go, but before you do, what's the best thing you've seen so far at CES? Oh, I hate this question. Um, and, and you're going to kill me for it, but I, I'm still excited this morning about the, the Switchmate stuff that I saw. I know it's not HomeKit, but it's just so dead simple and so affordable. And I, I think that makes for a good entry point into this because there have to be entry points into any of this stuff, right? Yeah. No, it sounds like a great product. And, and uh, you know, they're, they're talking about these sub $40, sub $50, and a whole security system. Right. What, what if you change the whole – so their, their thought was what if you change the whole security system model instead of you buying an expensive thing that has to be installed with wires and installers and that stuff for security? You know, Simply Safe does this, right? They ship you a box and you install it yourself. Well, so they make one. You install it yourself. Works with their app. Works with Alexa potentially. I don't know. Um, and that you you can can do all this stuff. Yeah. But basically the idea is is that there have to be entry points. You, you, you get things that are simple and easy to install and then don't have to worry about them. That, that remote controlling on-off is not the primary thing. That having them do things for you through you know, sound control, like you mentioned before, motion control, stuff like that, is, is where the benefit lies. Yeah, it's interesting when um, this stuff starts to apply and, and do things that you didn't think of before. So, for example, I was reading about one of these smart home detectors or smart smoke detectors the other day. And I was thinking, I don't really know what the purpose of that would be other than to be alerted when you're away from home. But then I thought about it and I said, I could create a trigger where if it detects smoke in the house, it could turn on the ceiling fan and it could unlock the front door in case of a fire so I could get out quicker. Now, that's actually something that could save my life. Or if it's not even a real fire, if it's just you know cooking and something comes up, it helps to clear the smoke out of the room. And that's well, a very practical, obvious benefit that is one of those things that you have to think about how you would set it up and how you would configure it that goes beyond just, oh, I'm detecting smoke on my phone. 
Right. So here's what you, you don't turn the ceiling fan on when that happens because you don't want to fan the flames and make it worse. Well, but most of, 99.9% of the time when the smoke alarm goes off, it's because someone was cooking something and it got a little too smoky in the apartment. So, Right. The, the thing to do is, is, so when the smoke detector goes off, you want to cut the heat on the furnace because you don't want to add more fuel to it. You want to turn on the camera so that your phone gets a notification to look at the camera so that you can see what's happening. Mm-hmm. Right? Unlock the front door. And yeah, I mean, there's Unlock all the kinds of stuff door. you can do. Right. You can turn all your lights bright red if you want it. Uh, works with Nest and Philips. You do that. Yes. Which it's cool. You know, it's, it's, again, it's one of those things where I look at a smart home device. I'm skeptical. I say, why do I need this? And then when I start to think about the potential applications of it, it's like, oh, this actually makes some sense to me. Definitely. Well, thank you, Neil. This has been the Apple Insider podcast, uh, coming to you from CES in Las Vegas. I'm Victor Marks and, uh, Neil, where can people find us on the internet? Uh, I am at appleinsider.com, and you can read me on Twitter at thisisneil, N-E-I-L. Brilliant. And uh, I'm at vmarks on Twitter, and we will talk to you more. Check us out at appleinsider.com for all of our CS coverage.